Look, if we haven't met, I've done notices a few times, but it's my first time up here. And um, yeah, my name's Ella. I'm part of the staff team here at Central, and I look after um, our small groups, which we call circles, and just other forms of community. So if we haven't met, um, it's lovely to see you. I do see a few new faces. Um, and today, after a few weeks break over the school holidays, we uh, we had some really special moments. Um, we are returning to our series, and it's... Um, a, a series that we've been tracking through since the beginning of June, and it's called A Flourishing Life. Um, it's inspired by John Ortberg's book, The Me I Want to Be. And this series is its really calling us to take a look at ourselves across a variety of areas, and in partnership with the Holy Spirit, seek transformation of that area. Um, and it's that we would become God's best version of ourselves. And in that, we would live a more flourishing life here and now. Um, so Alicia, a few weeks back, she, she started things off by asking, how might we flourish in our minds? And then Dan followed up with that big topic of how do we redeem our time? And we've got a few more areas to cover. So we've got a few more opportunities to consider what could renewal look like in these areas. So this week, I'm going to speak about relationships. And next week, we're going to consider our experiences. So to start us off today, um, we're going to welcome up Christina, who's going to do a reading of today's text. And um, you know the story, as usual, as she comes up, um, why don't we just stand as a way to um, honour God's word with our body. So... Christina, I can't see her. Here she is. Thank you. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, it helps the other part grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Thank you so much. Take a seat. Now, simplifying things down, in our brains, we have two areas that are responsible for processing input. We have our neocortex, which processes information from the senses like vision, hearing, touch, and it works together with our prefrontal cortex to regulate our cognitive processes. In simple terms, it's our thinking brain. It is our wise owl. It's rational and it's considered, and it does the bulk of our processing, and it works best when we are calm, when all is well. And then we have our jumpy superhero, 
our amygdala. Our amygdala is what kicks in when we're processing strong negative emotions like fear or anger because it thinks that we're in danger. And in those moments, according to this jumpy superhero, there's no time to consult that wise owl. And instead of rational thinking, we jump to impulsive reactions like fight or flight. In these moments, we have a difficult time processing um, uh, our emotions, um, focusing, controlling our impulses, and sometimes making smart decisions. Um, and if you consider the last time that you made a mistake in a relationship, be it with a friend or a family member, your child, um, or your spouse, can you recall if that was in the midst of a really calm, serene moment? Um, or maybe it was when you're at the supermarket and your kids were just pulling you in every direction, wanting everything. Um, maybe it was under the pressure at work with something urgent and important. Or maybe it was when your friend hit the nail on the head with something that they're concerned about in you. Or maybe it was when your spouse was just going on about that thing when you're already tired. Um, I would hazard a guess that um, our best moments in relationships haven't been when our amygdala is in full swing. But what if it could be? What if God has a little trick up his sleeve that in these moments we might become our best selves? that we might serve rather than sever our relationships. And um, today, we're gonna take a look inside our relationships. We're gonna ask, where are they? Uh, what are they doing? And how are they? And all of this is really sitting under the umbrella of what is God's hope for us as relational beings. So, first up, where do our relationships exist? Well, um, in John Ortberg's book, he references the work of Dutch theologian Abraham Cooper. And, um, and Abraham noted that there was a similarity between the structure of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the structure of our lives in relationship. And so the tabernacle, as you can see, uh, this is obviously not what it looks like, but it has three compartments. Um, there's the outer court, and this is the part that everybody had access to. Um, and likewise, there's a public you. There is the you that's um, at the grocery store. There's you shopping. There's you maybe in that coffee break. This is the part that everybody sees of you. And then there's the inner chamber. And now not everybody has access to the, had access to this place. In, fo in fact, most people actually weren't allowed in. And it's the same with you. You have an inner chamber. And unless someone has manipulated their way in there, in which case, get some counselling, get them out. Apart from that, you choose who comes into this. So this is your friends. This is your family. It might be a mentor. It could be your circle. And then there's one more chamber right in the middle and it was a really carefully guarded place deep inside the tabernacle. Um, it was entered only by the chief priest and there was only room for them and God. And this place exists within you too. No other human can come into your holy of holies. It is reserved just for you and God. And in talking about relationships, we start here in the holy of holies the place of your most sacred relationship, your soul connection with God. So, what is your soul? Well, if you've been around for a while, you'll know that we've done some pretty thorough messages on this in the past, but shrinking that right down, it's you. You are your soul. Your soul, or your nefesh, the Hebrew word, is your entire living, breathing, physical being, and it's your truest state. It's the part of you that may be filled with joy or peace and contentment, or it might be empty, but neglected, anxious. And people of the outer court and the inner court, no matter how well they know you, cannot know you to the soul level. 
They weren't designed to meet you in the mystery and in the depths of who you are. There is only one that can, it's your creator. The one who made all of your intricacies and the one who understands in its fullness, the one who knows. And our souls, no matter how watered or withered, have a deep craving to know and be known by this one. Author Ruth Haley Barton says it like this, your desire for more of God than you have right now, your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. Um, I read that quote a while ago and it really struck me because I just find it deeply comforting and orienting. More than who I am to all humans, even those in my inner chamber, my conscious and subconscious longing for God is the truest thing about me. It's my home ground. And yet, I can forget that pretty quickly. Um, I can forget that my home ground, the place where I long for God, is also the place where he meets me. It's where I'm known, it's where I'm heard, it's where I'm understood and healed. And I can forget that this is the place where my salvation is worked out. Instead, I'm guilty, and I suspect many of us are, of looking to humans in the other chambers to save us. Um, And a few years ago, sitting single, I probably thought that marriage had a saving role to it. And John Altberg has a zinger on this. He says, marriage doesn't save you. Only Jesus can do that. Marriage grows you. And that is part of God's good design for marriage and other close relationships. And that is what we're going to move on to soon. But first, let's start here um, with the acknowledgement that we all need a saviour. And not just once, many times. Um, And it's so important that we go to the right place. um, That we go to the holy of holies to meet the only one who is capable. So how do we do this? Um, Well, we're going to take a look at Jesus because, yes, he was God, but he was also man. And while he was in human skin, he worked out real ways to connect with the Father. He, too, went into the metaphorical holy of holies all the time. And how do you go there? Prayer. So Jesus prayed when his life was crowded and draining. He prayed when he was facing important choices. He prayed when he was sad or frightened, when he needed strength for his work, when he was worried about people that he loved, and when he faced that insurmountable problem, the cross. Um, And this is not a list of things that we should bring to God in prayer, um, because I don't think Jesus did anything out of a should. Shoulds are usually operating from... um, assumed expectations or guilt or fear of if we don't do something Um, and that's not how Jesus walked around the world. Uh, All that he did was out of communion with the Father and um, his responses flowed from a trust in him and a love for him. Instead that list of when Jesus prayed is not there to build more shoulds into our life. Instead it is this. It is examples of invitations of when we can enter the Holy of Holies to be seen and to be guided by our Father. Through prayer, we can enter the Holy of Holies when we are drained, when we have a choice to make, when we're sad or scared, when we need strength, when we're worried about our loved ones. Um, We can go in there when we have a mountain of a problem that we don't see a way over. So we are invited to come. And much beyond the advice of our spouse or our best mate, your creator will meet you in your holy of holies and minister to your soul. Um, David in Psalm 62 verse 5, he says it like this. My soul, wait in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. 
So my first question is, where are your relationships? And maybe today that's all you need to ponder. Maybe um, you've had an experience of relying on people of the inner chamber a bit too much and it's just, they're just, it's not doing for you what you hoped it could do. And maybe you just feel that call to the Holy of Holies to um, have a deeper relationship with your Creator. And um, yeah, I just want to say you've got permission to stay in those thoughts and ponder that some more. But we will continue because as it turns out, we do wander around this planet with other humans. So what is our role with each other? Well, let's return to today's text. Um, as Christina read in Ephesians 4, we see a few things. First up, um, it reads, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, te- the pastors and teachers. Now this is saying that we are all uniquely made and gifted with these different things. And just a quick reminder that these are not for just church employees. We are the collective church. Um, and we are all wired in these particular ways uh, that, and to outwork these gifts in our everyday lives and all of our relationships. So when we look around this room, we are surrounded by gifted people. Um, We have our evangelists. Um, Dave, I'd name you as one of them. You're always inviting people towards the good news in wonderful and creative ways. We have people that are pastoral, just down to their bones. Mary, she's somewhere, but um, she would just think of every other person before herself and how they're doing. Um, I don't think Donald was here today, but he has the gift of teaching that we've been able to receive from a few times. It's just been wonderful. Um, Isaac and Michelle, you guys have the gift um, of prophecy where you're always pointing us to the reality that is in front of us, how God is seeing us in this moment. And then we've got the apostles, um, Jamie and Guy, and you guys have faithfully, I think you're somewhere at the back, um, encouraged our church to, to grow and expand in ways that would invite more people into God's kingdom. So we are surrounded by gifted people. You are all gifted in your beautiful ways. So then it moves on. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. So our our gifts have a job to do. Um, They are to build God's kingdom and build each other up. And this will continue um, until, until we all come to such unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So... Our gifts, our relationship with each other are to help us become mature in the Lord. And side note, this is going to be lifelong. (laughs) It's going to be a long journey, so buckle in. Um, I'm going to skip a wee bit, but then it goes down to, as each part does their own special work, it it helps others grow, that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is saying we are all needed Our different gifts are vital to help each other grow. So if we summarise that down, it might be something like this. We are all gifted, made differently, to build each other up, that we may become mature in the Lord, and that the whole church, all of us, will be healthy, growing, and full of love. That is the vision. And Ortberg, he does it again. He manages to smush it down into just six words. He says, God uses people to form people. He is saying that our connectedness is essential to grow us into the me that God designed us to be. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, what do we know about God is that we're made in the image of him and that he is constantly connected. God exists in a community of sacrificial love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
He's, God is never disconnected, and we weren't designed to be disconnected either. And you've heard these stats before um, about loneliness, that it is one of our biggest killers in society these days in terms of health. Um, the CDC, the Centre of Disease Control and Prevention, calls it a risk that rivals smoking, obesity and physical activity. Um, Genesis 2:18 it says, it isn't good for man to be alone. So we were designed to flourish in connectedness. And let's be clear, connectedness um, is not the th same thing as knowing a lot of people. It's, it doesn't really matter how many followers you've got on social media. Um, we need relationships of that inner chamber. Which begs the question, what deep relationships do you have? Who don't you need a social battery for? Whose couch can you just relax into as if it was your own? Who do you call when the crap hits the fan? Or when you've got some really exciting news? Who can you let out your big belly laugh with? And who can you voice those questions to that just feel socially unacceptable to ask anywhere else? Um, these questions, although they are seemingly a bit silly, are a connectedness inventory. And if you're struggling to answer them with a face and a name, then I just invite you to take a step towards community. Um, you could take a leap, invite someone out for coffee, join a circle, we've got the introductory event next Sunday, reconnect with that old friend, or ask us to help find you a mentor. Um, it might take some initiative on your part now, but the payoff is immense. Um, deep relationships, they bring us so much. They bring us gifts of joy, belonging, love, commitment, and healing. And while those first ones are fairly obvious, healing might not be. So let's take a closer look at that. So the gift of healing, you know, in that outer court, at our coffee time, the truth is, is that we all wear a mask. Um, there are things that we just feel that we can't show each other, and there's some wisdom in this, because I don't know you, and frankly, you might not be safe with my stuff. Um, but here is the result of only having shallow relationships, articulated by Ortberg. He says, when I am in superficial relationships, I can forget my brokenness. And while that sounds quite nice, um, living in a state ignorant to our own faults, um, it's actually a place of darkness. Um, because if, as we've touched on in this series already, we're always becoming someone. We're never static. So we're either becoming more like Christ or we're becoming more disordered. Ortberg continues, but when I'm with people who know me deeply and accept me fully, their acceptance touches my brokenness as a doctor touches the injured place on a patient's body. Their very touch begins to heal, and through the mystery of the fellowship of acceptance, God's spirit flows. So our relationship with people of our inner chamber can be a conduit to healing. How? Well, James 5 verse 16 offers a way. In that he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And in the book, book Ortberg tells a story that demonstrates this beautifully. He shares of a time that he sat down with a longtime friend and told him everything that he was most ashamed of. I told him about my jealousies, my cowardice, how I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about deceit and the regrets that kept me up at night. Much to my surprise, he did not even look away. I will never forget his next words. John, he said, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. 
You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. And in confession and prayer, our connectedness to each other and God, it ushers in the spirit, which has the power to grow our love and heal our wounds. And that is our role with each other. So thirdly, still operating in this realm of the inner chamber, let me ask, how are your relationships? Are they good? Rob, you got a big smile? Pretty good? Yeah, good. Leash, you agree? No. <laughs> No, the, truth of, the truth of relationships is, because we're all imperfect people, when we coexist in these deep and unmasked ways, there's always going to be challenges. Um, and due to this, it's sadly those who know us and who we know and love the most that we hurt the most. It's our kids, it's our spouse, it's our siblings, it's our best mate. So let's talk about those difficult moments in relationships. And we're going to do this with a little story from our household. Um, if you were going to spot an argument in our house and you were peering through our windows and putting your ear to the wall just expecting lots of stomping and shouting, um, those would just be the wrong metrics. Um, if Mike and I are in an argument, our word count reduces to about like 10 words an hour. We have the slowest arguments in the world. <laughs> um, we even move slow, like our bodies become stiff and turned away from one another, um, our jaws kind of like rigid, holding the tension. Um, and if you weren't inside that room, you could completely miss it, but if you were in there, you'd feel the air's pretty thick. Um, can you guys relate to this kind of tension I'm describing, anyone? You know, you stompers and shouters probably can't, hey, and that's all right, we've got our own stuff to work through. Um, it's time to return to our friend Getfo, that jumpy superhero, our amygdala. Recall that this is the part of your brain that um, is screaming at you to fight or flight in response to some kind of perceived threat. Well, when we're in an argument, when my amygdala is firing, I return to my signature sin, which is a version of fight. I'm a one on the Enneagram, and if you recall from Dan's message a few weeks back, a one is a reformer. So I can always see how things can be improved. My greatest fear is to be flawed. It makes me feel like I am evil, which is a completely unbearable feeling. Um, my signature sin is judging and holding others to those same perfectionistic standards that I hypocritically and much to my dismay can't live up to. And I have very little patience for people on the journey to improving. <laughs> Can you imagine what that looks like in marriage? Yes, good. Um, so when, I, when Mike and I are in an argument, I'm very quick to know what's wrong and I'm even quicker to demand progress towards the solution. Um, and what's happening there? I'm reacting from fear. I, I'm basically, in my mind, I'm going, something's not right. That means we're not right. We're evil, unbearable feeling. We've got to make it better now. Like, oh, that's what's going on. Now, did you know that when your amygdala fires, there's a quarter second gap between when that impulse takes place in your brain and when an action takes place in your body? And now this quarter second gap, although it doesn't sound like long, is a huge gift from God. Further on in Ephesians, Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin, do not give the devil a foothold. That quarter second is the time when the Holy Spirit can take control. It's when we can partner with him is the way for our hardest moments to forge into our best. It's the window of time where that can serve rather than sever our relationships. 
And considering this quarter second gap, I reflected on these tough moments with Mike and I can recall numerous times where my fight, my temptation to demand progress has arisen and the Holy Spirit has spoken um, and he's been really faithful to whisper in my ear the way to reconciliation. Sometimes it sounds something like this. Um, it's more important than you move, that you move as a team than you make that progress right now. Or, I'm the great physician. You can trust me to heal the situation. Your job right now is just go to Mike. Or simply something like, just don't, Ella. <laughs> you don't need to say that. It wouldn't be helpful. Um, yeah, can you relate? When you have been in... Um, a moment where you've been triggered. Um, have you heard the whisper of the Spirit that's just saying, come this way? Um, look, the truth is, far more than half the time I've given in to my temptation, I've blown right past the Spirit's guidance, and um, there have been times where I'm sad to say that I've hurt Mike, the one that I love the most. But there have been times where I've followed his whisper to say nothing, <laughs> mostly say nothing, um, or reach out with a gentle touch or extend a word of reconciliation. And not everything solved in an instant at all, but um, peace restored. And Mike and I turned back towards one another. And I'm learning that the Holy Spirit is a truly trustworthy and essential um, companion in our marriage. I'm learning about the gift of the quarter second gap. Now, I'm not sure how this is landing for you. Maybe you're recalling with gratitude the times where um, you, know, you have felt the Spirit's guidance and he has moved you towards that love and reconciliation. Or maybe you're thinking of moments where you blew right past, back into the comfort but the destruction of your usual signature sin pattern. And um, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, and here's the, here's the good news. God is beautifully merciful. Um, he forgives us and he will be faithful with another quarter second gap with that same invitation to love and reconciliation. Now, before we finish up, a few words on relationships that don't just have difficult moments, but are just difficult, full stop. Um, and let me start with an important disclaimer. Um, there are difficult people, and then there are seriously difficult, problematic, manipulative, unsafe people. Um, and I think that with all people, regardless of their level of brokenness, Jesus calls us towards the same things that I'll soon cover. But the way in which these things come about um, might be much more of a journey because of the level of complexity and courage and care needed to navigate that difficult relationship. Um, so if you're sitting here and you're currently in a relationship that feels deeply unhealthy, unsafe, unboundaried, then please don't hear this brief segment on a Sunday sermon as our only offer of help. Um, instead, we want you to know that we have a pastoral care team and we can journey with you and that would look like us meeting with you, praying with you, referring you to some helpful resources and maybe some professional help as well. Um, so we just wanna say you don't have to do this alone. And um, even today, you can email care at centralvineyard.org. Okay? Okay, back to the difficult person. It's the person that you can't find much grace for. Um, they're too obnoxious, too opinionated, too ignorant. Um, the person that maybe they use you. They're too unaware or maybe full of intent. They're too bullying. They're too selfish. The person that belittles you. They're too harsh. They're too cruel. They make you feel small and anxious. Why do these people exist? And why does God allow difficult people? Well, what other kind are there? Um, if God was to get rid of all the difficult people in the world, everybody with flaws, ugliness, and just straight out sin, 
would get pretty lonely. And we might get zapped off the earth too. Um, because we are likely someone's difficult person, which is pretty humbling and a bit scary. <laughs> so if they, sorry, we do have to exist, what do we do in the company of a difficult person? Do we pray the psalmist prayer? Lord, smite my enemies. <laughs> um, if that's how you feel, great. I encourage that level of honesty when talking to God. He can take it. Um, but ultimately, staying in that place of hoping for vengeance, it's not going to bring a lot of calm to our souls. So what are our other options? Run away? Yes. No. Um, sometimes boundaries and a bit of distance is necessary and it's okay. And there are some honouring ways that we can put these in place. And our pastoral team, pastoral care team, again, can help you with this. But running also isn't the thing that's going to bring calm to our souls. And it doesn't provide much of an opportunity for that relational reconciliation. And sometimes your difficult person is your father-in-law or your boss. And I'd just like to say both of those are great in my world, so that's not a subtle dig. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it might be someone that you are relationally tied to and that you can't run away from. So what do we do? Um, let's look to Jesus. Turns out even the Son of God, like many of the other biblical characters, also had to deal with difficult people. Um, Jesus even had Judas, who he allowed to remain in his inner circle until the moment of betrayal, which is just wild. Um, but there are some things that we can do learning from Jesus. First up, we can keep God between you and them. So remember the Holy of Holies? You have one so does your difficult person. And as much as we think that we can lecture, reason with, manipulate, withdraw from to get the behavioural change that we want from someone, we're only ever going to touch the sides, if anything. Only God can touch the deepest part of another person. It's God's role, not ours. Prayer, again, is our most direct route. Prayer reminds us that between you and I stands Jesus. He is the one who is able to work in the heart of your difficult person and he's the one that can protect, strengthen and comfort you. In prayer we are reoriented. We're reminded that as in God that we find our identity, our security and it's where we can let the Spirit remind us that our safety and our honour are in the hands of your Heavenly Father. And just like you learn to leave a gap between you and the car that's travelling in front of you, we need to learn to leave room between our soul and the souls around us. This is the space where God can flow between you and me. And it doesn't mean that difficult times aren't going to come. They definitely will. Um, but let Jesus be your buffer by responding with energies of prayer. And next, we look for the path of reconciliation. And Jesus is teaching there are a few moments where he gives us some guidance. For example... When you've been ins insulted with what I hope is only a metaphorical slap, um, what does he say? Turn the other cheek. Now, sometimes I think we've mistakenly thought this means just offer yourself up for some more punishment. Um, but in Jesus' time, it wasn't that. Um, it meant to offer the left cheek, which meant that your insulter either had to fight you square on as an equal, which they didn't want to do, um, or they had to find a nonviolent way to resolve the conflict. So in these moments where you've already received a backhanded slap that is meant to shame you, someone's made a dig, a relative has said something judgmental or someone demeaned your intelligence at work, rather than carrying away or retaliating, we stand um, and we lean back into the, where our safety and our honour actually are with our creator. 
and with that we can stand tall and calmly we can insult the, um, sorry, we can't insult, we can confront the insulter with, with honesty and strength. <laughs> Another one from Jesus, he says, if someone forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two. So Jesus here is referring to Roman soldiers who were allowed to force Jews to carry their things for them for a mile. Um, Jesus knows that offering to carry the enemy's things for another mile would just knock his socks off. He's kind of like, who would do that? And that's just the point, right? Um, we can give the gift of empathy, putting ourselves in the difficult person's shoes and asking what would help this person become the best version of ourselves. And in finding a creative solution, it gives us an opportunity to practice becoming the best version of ourselves. Because other people don't create your spirit, they reveal your spirit, which is another zinger from Ortberg. We actually need people to strengthen our ability to love. The role is the same. God uses people to grow people. And finally, Jesus fulfilled all of his teachings in how he lived. All the way to the cross, he chose the path of reconciliation. He continued to love sacrificially when we didn't deserve it, and it's the same for us. Um, even when your difficult person doesn't deserve it, because they probably don't, we ask the Spirit to show us the way of peace. In this journey, it often begins with forgiveness, which isn't easy or simple, um, but it's what God wants for us, and he is with us, and little by little, he'll give us the grace for it. It's a journey. Um, but it's a journey to turn back around and back towards each other. So today, just as we close, we return to the questions that we began with. Where are your relationships? Think back to that, um, that diagram. What are they doing? Is there growth there? And how are they? And um, just as we finish, um, we'll make a bit of room for people to respond to that. And we can do that in your seats or you can you can come up we'll maybe get someone on guitar soon bit of bit of background um but yeah maybe you've been caught back in that idea of the holy of holies and you're hearing the invitation for you to come and yeah we, we just want to say there's a space for you either up the front where we can join you in prayer or just right where you are um for you to enter that space as the psalmist did and wait for god alone um maybe as we spoke about connectedness you you felt alone and um, we just want to be able to pray with you shoulder to shoulder as like a prophetic symbol that you're never alone and we'll pray for those people to come into your life that you can journey with or maybe that quarter of a second story maybe that hit home um, you recognize those moments where you've been prompted by the spirit and like all of us we've chosen the other path and um, yeah it's just a chance for us to recognize that and and repent just turn from our way back to God's um, and just remind God has mercy on us and he forgives us fully um, yeah and in the background we're, we're gonna have some chili and chips really soon so there's gonna be a bit of movement um, as people start setting up for that but um, don't let that rob your moment today so yeah there's space for you where you are as you are or um, up the front so and God is already in that holy of holies just waiting for you. So, yeah, come. Um, Robert, mate.